leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Synthetic biology is promising to harness living organisms to replace industrial processes that rely on toxic chemicals, consume large amounts of energy and water, and leave environmental degradation in their wake. One such example of a company seeking to transform an industry in this way is Colorifics, which is developing a revolutionary dyeing process to help the textile industry dramatically reduce its environmental impact in a cost-effective way using a synthetic biology-based approach. We spoke to Ori Arconi, founder and CEO of Colorifics, about the company, how it's using synthetic biology to change the process of dyeing materials, and why he expects it to change the environmental toll of the textile industry. Or thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Daniel. We're going to talk about synthetic biology, the opportunity to replace toxic and harmful chemical processes and with biological ones, and what Colorifics is doing to transform the textile industry with such technology. Let's start with the textile industry itself. It's ever-present in our lives, but I I don't think people give it a lot of thought about how the clothes they wear are made and, and the environment toll it takes. Let's start with the water. How much water does this industry use, and how does it compare to other industries? Um, yeah, the textile industry is actually phenomenal uh, in in scale and in application, and it affects all of our lives, as you mentioned. Uh, when it comes to water, um, textiles is actually the third largest consumer of water on the planet and the second largest polluter. Uh, taking over 9 trillion liters of water a year uh, for the entire industry. And over two-thirds of that, about 6 trillion liters of water a year, go into just the dyeing process. What's, what is the process to dye fabrics today, and, and how energy-intensive is it? So dyeing now, it really depends on the material that you're dyeing. It's, it's quite different to dye cotton than it is to dye polyester nowadays in the industry. But normally they use water ratios of about between 50 and 30 to 1 and temperatures ranging between 85 degrees Celsius to about 140, depending on the material that you're using. And given the volumes of water and the temperatures used, it ends up being an incredibly water and energy-intensive industry. And, and I take it there, there are some pretty nasty chemicals that are used to, to get the fabrics to take the color. Of course. I mean, um, I was kind of shocked when I started going, getting into the textile industry. My background is in, in biotech. And uh, I was shocked to find that about 8,000 different chemicals that go into our clothes. 
And in a dying step alone, there are 70 chemicals that are used that are extremely toxic, uh, be, be it directly toxic, carcinogenic, or mutagenic. And 30 of those are irretrievable, which means that no matter how you, what your waste management strategy is, they're going to end up in the water. And I take it that's what happens, that we, we've got waterways throughout, notably Southeast Asia, that are just polluted with, with all these chemicals. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, even with excellent waste management strategies, th those 30 chemicals are going to end up in the water when uh, it's done in less stringent environments where regulations may be slightly more lax. That means that more than those 30 are going to end up in the water. And to give you an idea of the scale, uh, the industry is using about 1.3 kilos of chemicals per kilo of fabric right now. So there's over 700,000 tons of dyes being used a year. And uh, about 200,000 tons of that 700,000 end up in our water of just the dyes. Now, the additional chemicals far outweigh uh, the amount of dye. I think it's about 20-fold more of other additional chemicals in the dyes themselves going into the dyeing process alone. Well, let's take a step back. You mentioned you were a, a biologist by training. You, the idea for colorifics actually came about through the work you were doing on the arsenic biosensor collaboration in Southeast Asia. What is the arsenic biosensor collaboration, and, and how did that lead to you founding Colorifics? Mm -hmm. So um, back in 2012, uh, I joined a, a group called the Arsenic Biosensor Collaboration to develop a biosensor uh, based on a genetically modified microorganism that was uh, aimed for field use in South and Southeast Asia to detect arsenic in groundwater. Now, in uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, in North India, there's about 100, 120 million people drinking water above the 50 parts per billion uh, limit set by, the, by oh, sorry, the 10 parts per billion limit set by the WHO and the 50 parts per billion that was the old WHO limit that is still the current limit in these countries. Um, this affects people in, in many ways. Arsenicosis, which is caused by long-term exposure to high levels of arsenic, leads to extreme cases of morbidity and mortality and always uh, essentially ends up with uh, multiple organ failure and several types of cancer, as uh, arsenic is essentially hypermethylator um, of, of uh, certain DNA, and that causes it to, to cause cancer. Now... Our goal with this was to develop a cheap, easy-to-use device that could be um, used to test the water directly, um, give a colorimetric output uh, that people could see if their water was safe or not. And that project was quite successful. But when we were there and talking to people of various levels, of, from government officials down to uh, regional managers and people looking at water quality, NGOs, and even people in villages that we spoke to, we asked everyone, uh, what else is in water that concerns you? And they gave us a really long list of chemicals. And when we got back, um, we did our homework. We looked, where do these chemicals actually come from? Our original intent was to develop other biosensors to detect these analytes. Um, but when we looked at the list, we saw that uh, about 40 of the 60 chemicals that, we, that people told us were of concern actually came from the textile industry. And upward of 35 of those came from the dying step itself. And at that point, we came with a press realization, you know, maybe we can do something other than monitor the problem. Maybe we can use uh, synthetic biology to actually address it and pr prevent this problem from actually continuing. And that's where the idea for colorifics came from. We knew that we can get microorganisms to produce pigments and dyes, 
the question was, could we get the dyes to transfer efficiently uh, onto the fabric itself? And that was the key innovation step that led to the formation of Colorifics. We, we think we've cracked that problem. So what exactly is Colorifics? How do you describe the company? Mm -hmm. So basically what we've done is we've engineered microorganisms so that they can produce the dye and then go into the fabric, deposit it, and fix it directly into the fabric without the use of any of the hazardous chemicals that are traditionally used. Um, this process is extremely efficient, and it means that we can use 10 times less water, about 20% less energy, and all the chemicals going into the process are food and feed grade with a long history of safety use uh, in regards to both human health and the environment. What did it take to actually develop the organisms? Well, the organisms we use are, are base organisms that are widely used across lots of biotech applications from making uh, high-value chemicals and fragrances and foods, uh, drugs, and, and other treatments that we use every day. Uh, the key thing is that we modify them to make the pigment instead of make um, any of those other chemicals, and we develop the process by which the organism can uh, get into the fabric, increase its uh, contact with the material, and efficiently transfer the dye across rather than maintain it within the cell. And what is what is the organism actually doing? Are they depositing the dye? Is this somehow different than the, the way dye is absorbed in, in more traditional dyeing of textiles? Mm -hmm. So what's happening in our process is that the cells are going into the fabric once they're there, our, um, part of the chemicals that we're using, again, these, these are chemicals used in pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, and things like that, um, these chemicals make the cells stop dividing and start elongating. They become about seven times longer than they are naturally. And this increases the surface area contact between the organism and the fiber. Now, the cells are still metabolically active. They're still producing more and more pigment as they're uh, elongating. And very importantly, they're still absorbing minerals and, me and metal salts from the water because uh, water always has trace amounts of most things, to be honest. Most things that you find on the planet are, are present in water in very, very small amounts. But the cells, in order to survive, have to concentrate these from the water uh, to conduct all the reactions within themselves they need to survive. Uh, in our process, the cells are going into the fibers um, in presence of water after which we remove the fabric from the water, and the fabric at this point is full of the microorganism, and then we cause the organism to lyse, killing the organism and causing it to release all of its contact in direct co uh, contact with the material, with the fibers. Uh, when this happens, the cells are releasing the dyes, and they're releasing metal salts and trace amounts of heavy metal that are naturally present in the water without us having to add it, which is what the industry is doing now. So inside the cell, you can have a thousand-fold more of these metal salts than you have in the water that they're growing in. And that means that our water bath doesn't need to have those chemicals at a thousand-fold concentration, which is what the industry is doing. So you mentioned the, the water savings, but in, in terms of cost, in terms of process quality and an environmental impact, mm -hmm. to, how, how does this compare across the board to traditional methods? Mm-hmm. Well, with cost, it's, everything ends up being an economy of scale. Textiles is a phenomenally huge market with uh, about 80 billion items of clothing consumed a year, much less produced. Uh, we're going on the assumption that the production is going to be at least double consumption at this point. Um, when you look at those numbers and you think about how much water is being used, 
uh, you could actually reduce it from six trillion to something like six hundred billion, which is still a lot, but it's a tenfold reduction. Uh, when it comes to um, CO2 emissions, uh, textile industry is horrendously bad when it, because of all the energy being used, the transport of all these specialty chemicals and the fibers around the globe, and so on. And um, fermentation is considered uh, by many bodies to be a carbon, carbon emission neutral activity because the feedstocks that you're putting in to grow the organism actually absorb CO2 while they're growing. Um, when it comes to the cost, uh, again, at a sufficient scale, this process will become cheaper than what we do, what the industry is using now, just from the fact that you don't need to move so many things around, the fact that you're not, you're using self-replicating organisms, you're using the power of biology and how nature produces these, uh, compounds to achieve the, the same goal. Are you limited in terms to the colors you can produce? So nature basically makes colors in three different ways. You have structural color, which is uh, a great example of which is a peacock feather. Peacock feathers actually only use one pigment, but it's the structure of the material that makes it reflect light in such a way that it gives it the appearance of having multiple colors. This is dependent only on the structure of the material and not the pigment itself. So that's a, a class of colors that our process wouldn't address. Another class of color that, color that nature makes is protein-based. So you have chromoproteins, fluorescent proteins, and the like. But these are relatively unstable. So if you go to really high temperatures or change the pH and add solvents, these entities tend to degrade, uh, making them unsuitable for, for clothing. Because if, if it's dyed and you put it in a washing machine and it goes light again, I mean, it kind of defeats the purpose. So we're kind of locked into naturally occurring pigments. Um, which absorb and reflect light, uh, just like any other pigment. But uh, thankfully, nature is very generous with the palate that is developed across the board, across all living organisms, both on land, sea, air, and even in the, in the microorganism domain. There are so many colors that we simply can't see because the scale of their production is, is microscopic. And is there actually a way to mix colors? Uh, yes, so we can modify our organisms so that each one produces one individual color and mix the, the two vats of organisms together. We can engineer multiple colors into one organism as well. Uh, our knowledge of synthetic biology, the, the field knowledge essentially, has developed to the point where we have enough control to be able to regulate uh, the production of these chemicals within the cell uh, very efficiently. So we can mix that way as well. Uh, there may be some instances where um, producing two colors in one organism wouldn't be ideal because it'd be competing for the same set of resources and the like. So our initial goal is to mix uh, different batches of microorganisms together, each one producing an individual color. But eventually it may be worthwhile to put multiple colors in one organism too. One of the issues we've seen with synthetic biology is scaling up to industrial scale. Does that pose any challenge for what you're doing at Colorifics? Well, one of the biggest challenges in scaling synthetic biology isn't necessarily our ability to ferment. I mean, if you look at the um, beer industry, they're using fermentation as well. The big difference here is that most biotech applications and synthetic biology applications require a lot of downstream processing from the fermentation step itself. You need to uh, kill all the cells, remove all their content, separate everything, and purify just the one compound that you're looking for. In our case, we're actually using the organism not just to make the, the molecule, we're using it to apply the molecule as well. 
which removes all the uh, all of the downstream processing, which is very expensive bespoke equipment, uh, specialized labor, and everything. And that makes it the process a lot easier to scale than a lot of other SynBio applications. I think the other issue we've seen is that industries don't really want to retool that they're they're much more receptive to plug-in technology that they can use in their existing processes. Is this something that you can just translate directly to an existing manufacturer, or is this something they would have to adapt their processes to? So the, for, we're very fortunate in a way because the industries are using a lot of equipment that's very compatible with our process. Uh, to equipment like beam dyeing, cone dyeing, which are very prevalent throughout the industry, are directly compatible. All you do is replace the the pigments that you're putting in now with our with our microbiological pigment. Uh, as when it comes to the fermentation, yes, they, if if they want to produce all the um, the organism in house, they would have to get some fer- fermenters in. But again, it's a very uh, mature field with equipment that's already there. There's no need for retooling by redeveloping equipment or having bespoke complex operational equipment it's it's literally plug and play combining breweries and dye houses and is that the expectation that manufacturers would be growing their own as opposed to buying finished product from you ultimately it depends on the manufacturer if they feel that it's more economically viable for them to grow everything in-house, and when you consider the scale of operation of some of the dye houses that are processing upward of 500 tons of material a day, it may well be worthwhile for them to um, localize their their fermentation on-site or adjacent to their dye houses simply for logistical purposes. But there's, there's lots of fermentation sites around the world that would be very happy to take them on as a customer and produce the material for them so that they would essentially just Take the, take the big vat of microorganisms instead of the big vat of um, chemical dye. How, how much pressure is there on the textile industry to clean up its act, to become more environmentally friendly today? Well, the textile industry is, is very directly linked to the fashion industry. And fashion has to listen to the end consumer because that, that's you and me. And if people keep telling them that the environment matters, they listen. And this is what's happening now. The fashion brands are adopting sustainable practices across the board. Large companies around the world, uh, many of which we've already spoken to, have expressed their sincere interest in changing their practices to, to adopt a, a more sustainable uh, approach to the, their industry. I mean, these companies have, are doing everything possible to minimize their carbon footprint, their water consumption, the hazardous waste. Uh, working conditions. Um, I have to say, I was really, really impressed with uh, the progress and the commitment that the fashion industry, and thereby by proxy the textile industry, are taking towards resolving the issues that they've created over the last 150-odd years. To what extent is your process commercially available today, and what's been the reception? Well, um, we're we're not uh, selling anything just yet. We're going to part. We're partnering with uh, brands that you probably recognize uh, to get our products out there. Hopefully, by the end of next year, you'll be able to buy some stuff made with our process. Uh, reception by the industry has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, pretty much every brand we've talked to has shown immediate interest and is trying to work with us in order to integrate our process into their manufacturing pipeline. Obviously, this process takes time. There's a lot of 
things here and there that need to be addressed, proven, tested before everyone uh, is satisfied with the quality of the product, the safety, the environmental aspect before committing serious resources to adopting it at a scale that makes makes it commercially relevant. Oria Cody, founder and CEO of Colorifics. Or thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Daniel. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.